The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Microphones alive. Here we go. <laughs> Hello, Malden. Welcome to another edition of 02148 Live from Studio B. I'm Jerry Leone, and tonight I'm joined by the famous Joey Noon, otherwise known as Joey Voices. Joey, welcome to the show again. This is hey, the Jerry. second time you made the cut. Thank you for having me. Really. So, what's been going on since the last time you were on? I finally found a publisher for my first book. I've written um, two uh, two more since then, and I'm actually currently writing my fourth and fifth books, and all before I even have the first one published. But you know, finding a publisher for the first book was wasn't the easiest thing in the world, and uh, but I found um, Sailor Media Group, uh, Zulon Publishers as their um, self-publishing arm, and so I wanted to go the self-publishing route the first time because of the research I've done, and and uh, I'm using the book as the anchor for uh, a new radio show that WEZE wants me to do for, on their Christian station, AM590. They want me to do a Sunday show from like 4 to 5. And, I'm, you know, I didn't really pull the trigger on it yet because I wanted to have the book published, and I wanted to use that book as the anchor for the, you know, for the show, for the topic of the show. And then moving forward with Salem Media Group, we'll see what happens. But they have 75 radio stations across the country, Christian stations, so that'll be a good outlet for me to promote the book, you know. And the book is called... Good things are supposed to happen to you. That's the name of the book. I told you, I think, last time. But anyway. Well, I can't wait to get a copy and, and have you sign it. Now, do all your books have a different theme? Or do you stick? Um, one of them, well, first, first and second one. The first one is Christian, Christian-oriented with life principles that even non-Christians can apply to their life. And if they do, uh, they'll be uh, productive citizens. Uh, so that's how I approached that first book, because it's um, my approach to the law of attraction uh, from a theological standpoint, whereas most um, uh, quantum physicists, they're coming at it from strictly a scientific point of view, and they're, they're not, there's no dichotomy between what the, what the law of attraction is and what it is not. And I drew that dichotomy in my first book, and it's a really good book about... Um, different principles about how the human mind works and how we control uh, most of what happens to us. Most of it. I mean, some things you can't control because that's just life. But for the most part, the misery that happens in people's lives is, you know, a, a good majority of it is uh, their own doing based on their thought processes and, you know, allowing their environment to dictate how they think. And my book teaches you to uh, use your mind uh, to dictate your environment, so which is a, a, a flip the script type of uh, thing. But uh, you know, I, I loved writing it, and uh, it took me about 
I'm going to say it took me about my first book, maybe five months because I didn't do it straight through. And then I took one, at one point, I, I went and wrote like 10 chapters in like two or three days straight. And I just kind of reclused into my room and really just got in a zone and, and, and just started writing the majority of it. And then I just went over it and with a fine tooth comb, every chapter I went over and added stuff to it. If I thought I could elaborate a little bit more on a point, I did that. I went through it again and went through the, you know, looking for the gr grammatical errors. Um, and I, you know, the dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, the jots and tittles. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I thought I did a pretty good job. And when the editor sent back the first edit, it was about a half a page. I go, there's going to be something wrong here. <laughs> he looked and he goes, you did a really good job writing this book. He goes, I found a couple of little, you know, grammatical errors, the word that you used where it wasn't really needed and, you know, grammatically speaking. And I had no problem with it. And so, but then my sister had a stroke last week and I, I, it's kind of been on hiatus, my communication with the publisher because we've been dealing with that in my family. And, and by the way, she's doing better uh, today. She's in Spalding Rehab and she begins her rigorous uh, physical and uh, speech therapy uh, tomorrow. It's a, a week's worth and they're going to go at it hard and get her back to, back to, you know, where she, hopefully 100%. I guess when the, when the brain is going through the healing process, that's when you need to really um, reconnect the synapses, you know, the, the connect the synaptic connections in the brain. You know, uh, nerve cells that fire together, wire together. And, and so when it's going through the healing process, that's when you really got to get it. It's like when you break a bone. You got to really get to that bone and, and reset it before it starts to heal because then you'll have to re-break it. So it's kind of like that principle as far as the human mind is concerned. And so they're going to work with her hard and, and uh, get her back to 100%. And she's a fighter. And I whispered in her ear, I says, every inch you fight for every quality inch of your life because that's what you're fighting for. I said, you have your life now. God gave it to you. He let you keep it. Now you need to fight for your quality of life. And she's a fighter. My sister's tougher than woodpecker lips, and, uh, and I always use that term. But, yeah. but it's uh, she's going to come back, and she's going to be 100%. And it's the people out there in, in Radio Land and TV Land that have been praying, and Facebook Land, by the way, thousands have been praying for my sister. And prayer is a very powerful thing. And I was telling somebody the other day about prayer, and I says, <clears throat> they, they did a, a, um, a, an experiment. And they took a, a, a whole group of like a few hundred people and they got them all into this one place where a, a, um, a protest, a negative protest was going to be with bad energy. And they brought these people into the area where the protest was. Not, not next to it, but in the, the general area. And these people started praying for peace and they were praying for love and unity and when they, when they measured the airwaves, the atmosphere around these people, they literally changed the energy in the area. And the energy, they also tested the energy where the protest was, and it was all negative energy. And so it just go. and the reason they did that was to show that prayer is very powerful, and it works. And if you, it's not just all wishful thinking. Your thoughts, your good thoughts about people when coupled with prayer is one of the most powerful things in the world it really really is so just i hope that encourages people that prayer works god hears prayers and he answers prayers so 
Well, I do wish your sister well. You know, Thank I you, know brother. her, and she is a strong woman. Thank you. And she's on her way to recovery. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yesterday she walked 100 steps with the walker. The day before, she was in bed and hardly speaking, and she had the feeding tube in, and uh, they, they, they fed her some eggs, and she was able to swallow it a little bit, so they... They fed her two more times yesterday, and then they took the feeding tube out and said she's ready. She's ready to go to rehab. We're gonna put her. They put her in today and give her a good night's sleep tonight and tomorrow. They start hard training. That's you know, good. So yeah, but it can happen to anybody. Anybody can fall, no matter what age you are. You just never know. We're all one heartbeat away from meeting our maker, right? Yeah. You gotta make sure <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you've done. Um, you recently went. Out in the Midwest, I did. I'm yeah, glad, if you want to talk, I'm you, touch upon that. I wasn't. I, I didn't know if you were going to ask that or not. That's thank you. I I had a show in Dubuque, Iowa. It was a corporate show, and uh, I was a a, um, a company like Dick Sporting Goods, but a Midwestern one. And they sell like farm and tractor equipment, but they also sell stuff that Dick sells: clothing and all that stuff, and fishing gear and hunting gear, and it's a big. Um, uh, it's a big name out in the Midwest. Anyways, they hired me to come in, and I get down there, and somebody I heard somebody say Field of Dreams, and I went, wait a minute, is the Field of Dreams near here? And the, and the girl at the front desk said, it's about a 30-minute drive up the street, right up the highway. So I got a good night's sleep, and the next morning I, uh, I, I took a drive out there, and it was cold, and all the cornfields were pretty much harvested because it was, you know, past harvest season, but it was still gorgeous. The landscape is so beautiful out in Iowa. If you ever get a chance to go out there, please do yourself a favor. Going to the Field of Dreams was one of the most spiritual experiences of my life. It was wonderful. And I got to run the bases, and I filmed myself running the yeah, bases. Yeah, I saw the, yeah. yeah. And I got a tour of the house. And uh, when, they, when I toured the house, I got to meet the owners because it was just me. And then... I thought I was going to be the only one going through, and another guy showed up with his wife and her friend, and it was the four of us, and they were from Chicago, and we were talking, and we all hit it off, and, and uh, we went through, and there was a kid dressed up like Shoeless Joe Jackson from the White Sox, and he had the white so- old White Sox uniform on, and, and uh, he was, he was uh, our tour guide, and I hit it off with him, and, and I says to him, this is funny, you'll laugh at this, so I says, yeah, he goes, where are you, where are you from? He says, I'm from Boston. He says, I can hear the accent. He says, what are you doing in town? He says, oh, I got a show. I'm a comedian, an entertainer. I got a show tonight. And he goes, are you the guy from Boston that's doing the show down at the, the Senate in, in Dubuque? I go, yeah. He goes, I'm living in Dubuque. I was on my way into work, and I heard them talking about you on country radio this morning. Wow. And so he says, hey, you got to say that on tape. So I go, you got to repeat that. And I put the tape on. He goes, hey, everybody, this is, uh, his name was Tyler LaBelle. Tyler, yeah, Tyler LaBelle. He goes, this is Tyler LaBelle. He says, we got Joey voices, and it was really, it was really cool. I got to really document everything from that experience. The only thing that kind of bummed me out was that Colleen wasn't with me because I wanted her to come with me, but she didn't know what was out in Iowa except corn. And so for her, she's thinking, you know, what am I going to go to? I, I mean, she comes with me um, at a lot of places that I go, but for some reason, she just didn't want to go. And then when I was out there, and that happened, I think she was kind of bummed out, but. You know, it's it is what it is. I'm gonna go back. I'm definitely going back. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity for most people, but if if it's something that affects you the way that it affected me, you'll go back. I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna go back when it's 
harvest season, when it's nice out, when the corn's all grown, I'm going to do like a little mini documentary, you know. And maybe I'll use that for my country song out in the cornfield, and I'll, I'll use that footage for the uh, official music video for that song. By the way, that song's on iTunes if you guys want to hear it. Well, speaking of country music, uh, how's that going for you? I it's mean, I'm, I'm, not really a, I'm not really a big fan, but I it's see... It's really good. It's Boston-style country. It's yeah. not really... Because I'm from Boston, so my producer, Linda Chase, didn't really want to make it too country, but she wanted to give it a little Boston twist. And so it's kind of Southern rockish, you know, popish country. But, you know, it's it's a really good, I love it. I got to start writing again. But I've written a bunch of country songs, and a lot of them are up on iTunes if people want to go and hear them. And there's a Joey Voices iHeart radio station if you want to hear my music too. So. Didn't you say a uh, member of Orleans, the band? Oh, the, yeah, the, the uh, guitarist for the band Orleans, who was famous for the song Still the One and Dance With Me. Still the one that makes me laugh. That song, yeah, yeah great yeah. song. I got a little bit of a cold, so forgive me. <laughs> but he, uh, he's my guitarist. His name is Dennis Fly, Fly Amaro, and he's my guitarist. He's good friends with my producer, and she brought him in, and he said to me, he goes, Joey, man, he goes, I love your music. I love your melodies. He goes, your songs are great. He goes, you're very prolific and... He says, uh, you got a good diverse t- you know, style of writing and, and melodies. He said, I love it. He goes, I'd love to work on future projects. I said, listen, Fly, you've been, you've been around since the 60s, brother. I go, the honor's all mine. I said, thank you for wanting to work with me. It's an honor and, and a blessing. So, And a few years ago, didn't you go to Michigan for a show? Oh, I've been all over the country. I, I, yeah. I, I went to um, Saginaw, Michigan. I did a show uh, uh, for like 1,500 people. It was great. And I was, it was a town hall series they had out there. And uh, next month, a uh, couple months, I'm going to uh, Fargo, North Dakota. And I want to, I don't, I'm not sure, is, is, is the, um, um, what do you call it? The, the president's there, the Mount Rushmore. Is Mount that Rushmore. in North? Is that in Fargo? I know it's out there somewhere. If it's anywhere near there, I'm going to try to what? do what I did in uh, Iowa and, and drive out I, there. I you should know? know this too. I think it's in one of the Dakotas. It's one, right I think there. it's north. I think it is north. But anyway. It's, uh, I've never been to Fargo, North Dakota. Not sure what the heck is even out there, but somebody wanted to hire me. So. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find something famous like you did when you went to Iowa. Yeah. Something, yeah. All of that. Hey, when you put good energy out into the atmosphere, you create good things. And things just fall into place. I'm telling you, things are just beautiful. I got engaged. I tell my, did I ever tell you my story about how I got engaged to Colleen? This story is fantastic. Well... I'll try to nutshell it as, as best I can, but her favorite hotel is the Omni Parker Hotel in Boston. The, fir- the oldest hotel in America? Where Charles Dickens wrote his Christmas story, and he did a lot of his other writings there. When he came over, I think from England, he, he would stay there. And he penned the Christmas Carol. Is it Christmas Carol? Yeah. Yeah, A Christmas Carol. And he, he penned that book there, but he, and he would stay there. And, and it's rumored that it's haunted. The, the, the uh, third and fifth floors are haunted. And I just kind of laugh that up. I don't really believe in that stuff. But, you know, I suppose, you know, there's a spirit world around us. So anything is possible and whatever. But so I said, that, that, whatever. We're not going to be affected by it because we're going to be on the 10th floor. So it's all good. So anyway, long story short, we go down to dinner. And we go in and they seat us in this table in the corner. And it's Kitty Corner. I think I'm not thinking anything of it. I've never been to the hotel before. 
I just knew she liked it there. We went there from we went there for Boston cream pie after my birthday two years earlier. Where they were invented. Yeah, where it was invented. Yeah. So we go there. We have dinner. I'm trying to think of a way to propose. Like what you think you're planning to propose, never comes out like the way you plan it. Because you got to find the moment, and I couldn't find the moment. And all of a sudden, the um, uh, the radiators clanged. You know, like like there was a ghost. They started clanging like it's old hotel, and it hit me. And they had just taken the dinner away, and dessert was on its way out. And I said to her, I said, so now that it's just me, you, and the ghost of Charles Dickens, I says, I got a question I want to ask you. <laughs> she goes, and I pull out the ring, and she was crying. And the first thing out of her mouth is, did you ask my father? I said, you bet I did. And what do you think that hour conversation was on the phone? He lives in Florida, so there's no way I could see him in person unless I flew to Florida. But otherwise, I would have went to him in person and asked him for her hand. But you know, he knew that, and and he was he was grateful that I had asked him because you know that's customary. And she's daddy's little girl, and he's he's a wonderful guy. I love her dad, Jerry Feely. Anybody who's watching from Malden, Jerry Feely ran the city yards in Malden, the far, Parks and Forestry Department, for and he was there for 35 years. He's a great guy, and I'll tell you something. I was weeping. When he, when he wrote me back and said, Joey, he says, I haven't seen that house ha as happy as it is since you came along. He says, and it, it would be my honor to have you as my son-in-law. I love you very much. And he's not the kind of guy that throws I love yous out there unless he means it. Like, there's people that do that. But And I was weeping. I said, thank you. And, you know, so the rest is history. But... The next day, here's the kicker of the story. The next day, we, um, we're ready to leave, and the valley guy is going to get the car, and as he goes to get the car, Colleen goes in to take a picture of the table in the corner where we sat for a memory. And the hostess comes out and says, do you know why they sat you there? And Colleen goes, no. And she goes, that's table number 40, famous table number 40, where JFK proposed to Jackie O., it was Jackie Bouvier at the time, but the girl didn't know she was in her 20s. And, and Colleen was like, and she came over and told me, and I was weeping because my father, and like everybody around this, this, these parts, JFK was a hero to everybody. And, but the two things my dad left me when he passed away was his wedding ring and a painting of John F. Kennedy that he had bought the week after JFK had passed away. And when he was a cop in Malden, my dad... He went out and, he, and it was a it was a famous painting, and, and he and, but it was a handmade painting. The guy over in Everett or something painted him, and and um, my father bought it, and and I have that. I have to have it reframed, by the way. But it, but it was so meaningful. The point is, I didn't even plan that. I didn't plan that night. That all fell into place. And do you know why? Because good energy. I put good energy out there. I put all of my love and passion into it. And be, as a result of that, God met that synergistically. And voila, something beautiful happened in the, one of the most memorable engagements that, you know, I could never have planned that. I didn't know anything about the Omnipaco Hotel or JFK or Dickens or anything, but it was just an, an, an awesome story. And that's my point. When you put good energy out there, Good energy, something great's going to happen. Maybe not right away, but something good is going to happen. I mean, thoughts are the language of the brain. Feelings are the language of the body. 
And how you think and how you feel creates your state of being. Now, that's what Joe Dispenza says, and he's a leading neuroscientist in the world today, and he's a wonderful guy. His story's amazing, but look him up if you get a chance. And your state of being creates your energy signature that you emanate from you. And that's how we communicate not only with each other, because we're spirit beings having a human experience, but we communicate with each other through the spirit. Now, your thoughts are your spirit. Your mind is a spirit world, so remember that. Your thoughts... And your feelings create your energy signature, your state of being. And that, when you project that, when you broadcast that out into the atmosphere, you're sending that seed out into the soil of the atmosphere. And that creates, when you do that consistently and not sporadically, you got to do it, when you do it consistently, it becomes your way of being, state of being. That creates and produces the harvest that comes back to you. The people you invite into your orbit, like energy attracts like energy. If you're like that, people who are not like that are going to want to be friends with you. They're just not because their energy is just different than yours. It's, if it's negative and yours is positive, then what do you have in common, really? You're going to attract people that are like you. So if you want to attract better people into your world and you want your results to change, you have to change your thinking. It all starts with your thoughts. But your thoughts are very, very powerful. Everything begins from thoughts. You look at a person's life and the results in their life. I can tell you it's a result of how they're thinking. They're stinking thinking, right? Stinking thinking. It doesn't produce anything good. And so if you want to change your life, change your results, change your thinking. That's what my book is all about. Good things are supposed to happen to you. It's a wonderful book. And I hope it's a blessing to everybody that reads it. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you, do you remember all the names of, of the books? You said this is the, f the fifth? Yes, the I fifth remember book? them, yeah. Yeah, first one is uh, called uh, Good Things Are Supposed to Happen to You. Um, the second book is called uh, Pretend to Be What You Intend to Be. I'll, I'll get into that when, when, it come, when it's ready to come out. It's done, but I just got to get it produced. And the third one is a book about JFK that I wrote in the assassination. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of that one yet. I know it, but I'm not going to tell you. It's a surprise. It's a really good book. And it's something I discovered. And, and you guys are going to be very surprised when, you, when, you, when this book comes out. You're going to love it. It's really, really good. Um, the, uh, the fourth book is, is called uh, Retro Reality, about retroactive prayer and retroactive reality. It's the difference between eternal time and linear time, past, present, and future. And it's a really, really good read. And you have to have a mind that's open and reachable and teachable to be able to understand it. It's a really good read. You're going to love it. And I'm having the most fun writing this book because I'm blowing myself away because what I'm learning about uh, the difference between eternal time and retro, I mean, and, and uh, uh, linear time, the implications of what I've discovered in my, my, uh, my learning uh, about the subject, it just keeps, I, more and more things keep popping up. And I just keep putting, wow, this is all these different implications about this book. You're going to love it, I'm telling you. And the fourth book is called, 50 fifth book is called 50 Points of Light. And it's 50 principles on how to stay in the light, walking in the light of life and staying away from darkness. And again, all of these books, um, with the exception of the JFK book, pertain to 
um, you, our thoughts, your thinking, and how we create either the good things that happen in our lives or the bad things that happen in our lives. Now, good things are supposed to happen to you because you're here, right? You're a spirit yep. being first, having a human physical experience. And so good things are supposed to happen to you. So plant good seeds, and then they'll happen to you. And that all comes down to the law of reciprocity or the law of sowing and reaping, which is really what the law of attraction is. But again, the dichotomy that I draw, you'll see when you see it. A lot of Christians are being taken away by this spiritism, is what I call it, a spiritism. Transcendental meditation and uh, all the stuff that Deuteronomy 18 in the Bible forbids, God forbids his people from doing. But it's disguised as law of attraction carte blanche, but it isn't carte blanche. There's a, there's a dichotomy there, and, and I draw that dichotomy in this uh, first book. So it should be coming out in February. Uh, if everything goes accordingly, it should be ready up on Amazon and uh, ready to purchase under the name Joey Noon, my real name, in February, uh, no later than March, however. You have a, a mini library. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, you just got to keep writing. I mean, yeah. just because your first book hasn't been published yet, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep writing. When you have something to say, say it. People always ask me, how do you write a book? How do you do it? I go, I didn't know how to do it either. You just write. You just just write. Write down. I was writing things down, and I went, this would be a good place to start a new chapter. A new thought should be a new chapter. Like when you give public speeches, you want to do it with talking points. Each talking point, should there should be an elaboration and an, an expounding in your mind for every point that you have on your cue card. So if you have five talking points, you should look at that one sentence and be able to expound on that for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever, depending on how your talk is. If it's a TED talk, you're talking 17 to 20 minutes at the most. But if, if you're hired and booked to speak for 45 minutes, then you'll have some time. I mean, you could do five talking points and break them down into 10-minute segments or, or you know, um, eight-minute segments, whatever. But that's how, you, that's how you write. Write the way you would give a public speaking engagement, public speech, a motivational speech. Not all your books have the same amount of chapters? Are they, they vary? No, they're all different. They all vary, you know. And, and I don't, I purposely didn't want to write, like, you see books and people, rah, two, three hundred pages, and you go, what's the point? If you're an avid reader, wonderful, but you're really weeding out the people that have the attention span of a gnat, but would like to read something that's short and interesting, and so that they could teach them something. So if you write something with, you know, uh, 80 pages, isn't that enough if you have, if you have a message to share? I mean, if it's powerful and, and, and to the point, I mean, why do you need more than that? I mean, it's a good book. And, you know, if you wrote about it and it's helping people, then that's wonderful. You know, that's really what it's all about. It's not about, unless you're writing a novel or an encyclopedia or something like that, you don't need to have a book that's that thick. Who are you trying to impress? Your mother? She's going to be impressed anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, any, any upcoming shows in the area? Um, I got a, a corporate show this weekend, and then I got a show with uh, Dave Russo uh, coming up on the 29th. It's a fundraiser for Mom and Pop Warner. And uh, Christine Beechin, Macaulay Beechin, yep. and Stephanie Bova O'Neill from their Malden Girls, and it's for their kids. And um, they're going to Florida and they're trying to raise some money, so they want to do a fundraiser. And so Dave Russo and I, we always try to give back. And so uh, 
you know, we're going to be doing this fundraiser for them this uh, on the 29th. And they, I'm not sure exactly where that is. It was a couple of different venues they were going to do it at. I think it's going to be one over in the old Wonderland Ballroom or something. I don't know what that's called now, but. So it's the 29th of 29th, this month? yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, in January, I got a bunch of shows coming up, a bunch of fundraisers. I do a lot of fundraisers. If anybody's out there that wants to do a fundraiser uh, or a corporate event, give me a call and uh, we can arrange something, uh, you know, according. Well, I can give you a price point based on the amount of people that you think you're going to have. And I can give you kind of like a, you know, this much for this many people and this much for this many people and so on and so forth. And Because you got you to work with people because they're trying to raise money. It isn't about the money. For me, it's about helping them raise money. And that's why they're calling me. So, you know, you always take less. You always have a nonprofit fee for, for fundraisers. What is the largest group? I don't know if I asked you, but what's the largest group you've ever performed in front of the, in the smallest? 10,000. And ten people, and I got paid more money for the ten people than I did for the ten thousand. <laughs> Go figure. What what was the ten thousand? What what event was that? The first one I got to open for Al Martino at the, at the very beginning of my career in two thousand and four. I was a it was my second year in the business, and he came to town, and I got asked uh, by Steve Altrino. He called me up. He says, Joey. Because I was on the radio on 1430, and I was a morning host with uh, Bill Whiteman. And he come on, and he says, uh, we want you to open for, um, he says, we want you to open for uh, Al Martino. He's coming to town. I go, oh, that's my mother's, my mother loves Al Martino. I go, I'd love to. And then he came into the station, and we interviewed him. And, uh, you know, it was just an incredible um, experience. And I think I got paid like, uh, I don't know, like $700 or something for that event. But it wasn't really about that. It was about the opportunity to open for Al Martino. And since then, you know, the pay scale has gone up as I've made my name in the business. And it's 15 years later. And so when I did the event for the five people, I won't tell you how much I got. But it was a heck of a lot more than that. It was a corporate event. But it was, um, you know, it was everything in between, you know, 10 people and 10,000 and everything in between. But it's it's not really the amount of people. It's about the effect that you're having and leaving on these people. I mean, these people are coming out to see a clean show, and they're coming out to forget about their cares for a little while. And if you can help them to do that and to decompress and to de-stress and laugh, that's very, very powerful because it's, it's not easy for a lot of people to find a good laugh, a good night out like that. You know, and I have people call me all the time, older people and people that are in their middle ages. And they say, you know, we don't like the swears. A lot of these comics, they swear. And we love your show because you're so clean and humorous and funny. And and, uh, and we love to sing along to like the Neil, Neil, Neil Diamond and, you know, the uh, Cher and the Louis Armstrong and the uh, Frank Sinatra, all that stuff. Tony Bennett, they, they love all of that stuff. And even the stuff like Al Green, stuff from the 70s, and, and the stuff from the 80s. You know, it's, it goes from the 50s all the way to today. I, I add stuff in. So it's a lot of fun. I love my show. And, uh, but I'm branching out from being an entertainer with a message because I always have like a good moral, uh, inspirational message in my act whenever I perform. I'm branching out. My, my goal is to do both, to do that. But also when I write my books, when I, when I go on tour to speak, 
um, and do my uh, inspirational speeches to be an educator who does impressions. And that's called edutainment, by the way. And so I want to be that. I want to quit on that market. It's going to be a great market. There's a lot of guys out there that do, that do that. So All right. I think that'll well, be something great. Well, that was that was quick. Uh, I'd love to have you back on anytime. Love to come back. When the book comes out, I'll come back on. Yeah, right, I'll give you a, yeah, absolutely. And I'll show everybody picture, and picture taken. tell everybody where. <laughs> I want my pictures taken with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to wish you and your family a merry Jerry, Christmas. thank you. And likewise, I'll tell your mom yeah. I said hello, okay? I will. And your sister and your brother. Thank you. All right, pal. Thank I'll you. Be, I'll be in touch. All right. God bless and Merry Christmas. We're, we're going to take, take a, a small break to prepare for our next guest, so hang on. All right, everybody, we're back, and I want to thank Joey Noon, a.k.a. Joey Voices, that had on. Now I have Ward 3 Counselor John Matheson. Welcome. Jerry, thanks for having me. Next time, maybe uh, not give me such a tough act to follow. I didn't know it was going to be Joey Voices, but, <laughs> but it's always good to see him. Joey's uh, my Ward 3 compatriot from back in the day, grew up uh, right up the street from me. Yeah, Glenwood School. That's right. That's right. Now it's the uh, now it's a condo building. Glad the building is still there. Yeah, uh, Brunelli. Remember we had uh, yeah, Mr. Brunelli was the principal over there. Yeah, how about that? 1898. You know the Brunellis were all in education. You know we had we had a principal Brunelli in the Glenwood. I had Jane Brunelli as daughter in preschool at the Hilltop. Uh, and then wasn't there a Brunelli in the high school? Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, you. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm having feedback you, over here. Joey's still over here. Brunelli. Yeah, Don Brunelli. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a shame. Yeah. Bless him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You got your half hour. I'll get my half hour. <laughs> well, you, you, Joey, and former counselor Kennan have something in common. You've both been on the show twice. So who's gonna break that record? Well. I'm going we'll for see. three. We'll see. I'm going for three. I'm going for five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going for five. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you did a book. I got five books. God, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a lot of work. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. All right. Well, the last time you were on the show, we had talked about that big topic about in your ward, the, the, hosp the hospital site. Any f From that point, I know there was something yesterday at the, at the city council. 
I don't know if anything was decided. Well, let's start with the positive stuff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so let me tell you, I, I came I came into public life about uh, 11, 11 years, maybe 12 years ago now. And the hospital was a big issue then, as it is now. Uh, also a big issue was that deadly intersection at uh, Fellsway East and Highland Ave. So this is there was a fatality there uh, when I was a youngster, but there's, there's so many car crashes there. Uh, it was on the list of the state's most dangerous intersections, also our most dangerous intersection here in Malden. So uh, after a, a lot of um, plugging away, and I got to give some uh, some great credit to uh, Senator Lewis for, for helping uh, connect us to DCR and getting a solution. Uh, I'm proud to announce that during the next construction season, 2019, we're going to reconfigure that intersection and make it as safe as possible. The most expensive but safest solution is signalization. We've got a lot of pushback on the price there. It's going to be about a million dollars. But Malden's share of that is now looking at about $230,000. Very, very affordable. DCR and the state uh, delegates are uh, coming up with the rest of that money. Uh, and they're doing all the design work and engineering work. And it's, it's, it's happening. So for Ward 3 to be safer in that way is just a huge achievement. And uh, I've got to share the credit with the people of Ward 3 who, who fought for that issue for a very long time. And I'm just so glad that it happened uh, while I was here in office. So. Very good. What else is up in the uh, going on in the uh, city council? Oh well, I mean that's a broad question. But <laughs> there's, there's always doings happening in the city council. Um, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do now is um, tackle the issue of traffic. So uh, as you know, traffic just seems to get worse in yeah. our city. Um, and although it's very easy to say yes to apartment developers and, and more development. Uh, and that brings people and cars into our city, and it also raises the cost, you know, education costs, infrastructure costs, uh, public safety costs. But one thing that doesn't get analyzed by our leaders when they do this, when they say yes to this development, is the congestion that comes along with it. And it just takes a toll on your quality of life when you're a resident here and you have a five-square-mile city that's only a, a couple miles from east to west, but it takes you a half hour to travel that. Uh, I mean, that just takes a mental... Uh, toll on you and it's very stressful um, that's why we have things like you know road rage and 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 these big long traffic buildups with all the fuel emissions that happen while cars are idling um, so one thing that I've been looking into through the uh, the the US uh, federal uh, highway department is uh, adaptive signal technology so it's a new technology that that gets real-time information about vehicles in your road you see this on Waze and, and Google Maps and things like that you can see which roads are experiencing congestion and you can surmise which times of day that it's happening. And you can adjust the signals on the go by offering more green to where the traffic flow is happening and, and, uh, and, and shift that to where the traffic flow is not happening. Is that camera working? I don't know. Oh, okay. I see them playing with the cameras over here, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, well, you got so many cameras. I don't know which one to look at. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm looking at you, looking over here. All right. Okay. So... Uh, Anyway, you know what? This is a very affordable technology. Uh, it's been tried in other cities. We're not, you know, reinventing the wheel here. Uh, you know, this is something that I'd love to see Malden get into. Uh, we haven't adjusted our signal timing in many, many years. I don't want to tell you how many years. I, 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 you know, I couldn't even put a number on it. It's been a long time. Um, and that could go a long way to uh, not only helping the flow, but reducing the buildup. You know, most of our intersections, main intersections, have a failing grade. You know, when you do a traffic study, they give grades, A, B, C, uh, D, E, F, to these intersections. And a lot of our intersections have failing grades. So uh, this would be something that could uh, help move traffic along. 
and reduce that driver frustration, also reduce the carbon emissions that come from cars that are idling unnecessarily. Um, and frankly, it, there's not a whole lot of tools in our quiver that can attack the traffic problem, but this is one that can actually make a difference and in a very affordable way. So, um, you know, we get $910,000 a year in Chapter 90 funds from the state. That's how they distribute gasoline tax. We have a 25 cent <coughs> gasoline tax. So uh, that's exactly what this, this money could go towards and really do some good. Now, I keep on social media, especially Facebook, I, I keep seeing that people want to start talking about the bike and bus lanes. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what you are. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's something I that. need to learn more about. I, I know that that's, you know, a lot of folks uh, out there. Oh, OK, I got to get a little closer to the mic. They're telling me. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that are single issue voters. Nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, information comes at a cost. So to be a well-informed municipal voter, I mean, you'd have to, you know, follow the local papers and watch city council meetings. And people have jobs and families and, and leisure time that's valuable to them. So you can't expect them to be abreast of all of that stuff. But uh, I know bicycling is, is a, a, an important issue to a lot of people. And I think, you know, where it makes sense, uh, you know, why not have a bike lane? As long as it makes sense, it's not interrupting traffic and, uh, you know, they obey the traffic rules. Uh, I say more power to them. Um, yeah. I think that was so what I saw. Was, I don't know. I don't know if it's a 50 50 split. Some people don't because they traffic back to, as you mentioned, traffic. It's bad in the city. And yeah. Yeah. if you want to add, you know, well, you know, you know I, I can actually tie this into the uh, Fellsway East uh, project when we were working this through for a couple of years with DCR and Senator Lewis. Uh, one of the things that uh, the bicycle community was looking for was to close a lane on the Fellsway which has a huge vehicle demand. You know, it's, it's mostly out-of-town commuters that are cutting through on this state road. Um, so they wanted to close a lane, make it a, a dedicated bike lane. There is going to end up being a bike lane there, but uh, uh, they didn't want to see this traffic light solution. What they wanted to see was the temporary, low-cost, just bike lane, lane closure solution. And the mayor was behind them because, you know, there, there are a lot of people that care about that bike issue. But, uh, but I said mayor, and, and I said to the folks that were in the room, you know, we had a huge meeting at the BB, and the bike people came out. I said, first and foremost, we got to stop the carnage. You know, uh, this is causing property damage, bodily injury, uh, let alone the, the couple fatalities that have happened over time. We had a car uh, ram into a house just a couple of years ago. Yeah, right there on Highland Ave and uh, Fellsway East. Imagine having a car come through your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. So uh, this thing was happening at a. I, I pulled a woman out of a car. Uh, we we had some. I saw some cars that were really. Yeah, that rotary. Oh, it's absolutely terrible. So I said, you know, before you introduce bicycles into the most dangerous intersection in the city, let's make it safe, because you, frankly, you're, you're asking for someone to get creamed if you did that. Yeah. So well, that's what's going to happen, Joe. We're gonna we're gonna end up uh, putting in a light there. It's a, a million dollar project. Not to repeat myself, but. Uh, you know, I, I had to arm wrestle some folks over this one, you know, including the mayor. They wanted to see some paint and some bike lanes, and I said, that's just not the solution. The solution is taking this problem head on and making that place safe. And, you know, when you have all the, that property damage, uh, you know, obviously bodily injury and property damage overshadows this, but uh, it also raises our insurance rates. If you live in the city of Malden, because of all the accidents that happen at that intersection, your car insurance is going up. And, you know, we have very expensive car insurance here in Malden, so... Uh, you know, we're tackling an insurance problem at the same time. Um, I can't overstate how important this is to our city, that we're fixing this problem. And, you know, I want to accentuate the positive. 
there are plenty of negatives out there, and I'm happy to talk about some of the more stubborn issues like Malden Hospital. But at the same time, we need to be appreciative of, you know, especially this time of year, that we live in such a great community with such great people like Joey and yourself. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I, I feel very, very blessed, and I'm a praying man. And I thank God um, every day uh, that I have just such wonderful family and friends and that I come from such a great place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Joey. Joey's saying I'm the right guy for the job because I'm from the neighborhood and I care. Thank you, man. Thank you. No, it means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that is that a segue into a re-election? Too early? Yeah, you know, it is a little early. It is and it isn't. So, you know, election day would come, you know, 360 days from now or so, right? I mean, a little over 11 months. Uh, no, 11 months, right? 11 months? Yeah. I guess yeah. it is time to start saying it. Um, I don't know, though. I don't know. This is the time of year that I sit down with my family and I discuss, you know, this this is, you know, a big decision. And uh, and campaigns are not easy. You've got to you've got to get out there and dedicate, you know, uh, uh, several months to meeting every re meeting everyone, the new folks, the folks that you already knew, um, staying on top of those issues and making your pitch and raising money to to keep the you know pay for the campaign. Um, so and I always have an opponent. You know, uh, most municipal elections they. You know, people are on the ballot unopposed, which is great. I envy them. Uh, but that's not me, you know. It does. It does. It does force me to work harder. It keeps me in touch with the issues in the community. Uh, and, and you know, I, I consider myself a humble guy, but no one's doing that better than me. I'm, I'm out there doing that uh, every single year and every single election. Uh, will I run again? Probably. I can't say for sure, but there'll be plenty of notice to the ward and the city. Yeah, there'll be plenty of notice. I'll, I will let people know if I intend not to run so that uh, the community can talk, to, you know, speak about who's next, you know, and figure out who has the ambition and the drive and who understands the issues and who has a connection to that community that they can represent well. Um, but, you know, it's been my blessing and my honor to be able to do that for the last eight years. Uh, and you know, I'll, I'll always, uh, you know, cherish that time. Would you, uh, cons- I'm bringing this up now cause it's probably the time maybe next month they're going to pick a, you, would you consider another shot at council president? Uh, no, no, I, I, I had my turn at council president. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a great opportunity for everyone to do, uh, at least once, uh, and there's people in the council that haven't had the opportunity to do it yet as council president, you know, you still only get one vote. Right. Yeah. And you still your pay doesn't change. Your vote doesn't change. No, nothing really changes except you're the moderator. You're the you're, you're the, the Jerry Leone with the microphone that says, you know, let's keep things in order. Your turn to speak, your turn to speak. And then you set people up on the committees uh, so they can work together on, you know, who's good at finance. Let's put you on the finance committee. You know, who's who's good at uh, ordinance. Let's put you on the ordinance committee and uh, who's good at you know claims or uh, licensing and. So that, that's, that's really what council president does. I had my turn of doing it. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot of positive feedback from it. Um, I don't have an ambition to do it again. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing it again. I would if the council needed me. But, but I think that there's, there's someone else that's, you know, coming along uh, for this. Isn't it true once you get the hang of it, then? You do get better ready. at it. Yeah, and then it's Hey, look, to- you, you don't have to look any further than uh, Councillor Anderson. He's the only guy that did it two years in a row, and it was very, very controversial when he did it. I'm not throwing you under the bus, Neil. Uh, but no, but no, I say this for a good reason. Uh, his year two, very, very fluid. I mean, he, he's, this is one of my favorite guys in the council because he's just, he's so calm and so confident. And frankly, you know, he's the eldest statesman of the council. He's very, very wise. 
And uh, I, I just, I enjoyed him as council president. I enjoy sitting next to him in the council. I've learned a lot from him over the years. Uh, and he's one of the guys that remembers my dad. So uh, my dad uh, was uh, born in 1924. He had me at the age of 50. He was a World War II vet. Yep, fought in Normandy. So I lost him when I was young. Um, you know, it was his time. Uh, and it's never easy to lose someone you love. But when I find someone like... Uh, Neil Anderson or Karen Anderson that actually has a, a connection to my dad. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it is, it's sweet. It's nice. It's, it makes me, it, it, it gives, it conjures up those, those fond uh, memories that I have. And, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of people can say this, but, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better dad. I, he was, he was the best dad for me. And we had such a great father son relationship. And, and again, I, I was 27 when I lost him, but, but uh, again, so blessed. I'm so blessed. Yeah. Yep. And you, you have in your ward the um, the tree. I know the lighting happened after the parade. Yeah, we, we have the tree. Like, we, we also have the Arbor Day tree. So one thing that I started, uh, it, and nothing's easy in Malden. There's pushback and everything you, you try to do, but the good ideas eventually do make their way through. Uh, and I, I got Malden to uh, become a Tree City USA. Sounds like small potatoes, but it's not. Uh, it inspires community pride. And it does afford you the ability to get grants, uh, but it also brings the community together. So we have the students, and we dedicated, yeah, we dedicate a tree to a, a someone that we lost in the previous year. So the students and the family, and and some of us, we get together and we we literally plant a tree together, and it's it's just a it's just an awesome thing. It's a great occasion, and uh, we've planted more trees in Ward Three than anywhere else, and and this is really catching on. This is something that people are really paying attention to now for the first time. You know, when I was young, trees got cut down when they were when they were bad, when they were diseased or dead, but they never got planted. And the stumps, I don't know if you remember all the stumps. We had stumps everywhere in the city. So now we're wearing out stump grinders. We're grinding out those stumps. We're improving the curb appeal, which inspires community pride, raises property values. Your property values have never been higher. And that's following the, the, the largest real estate crash in world history. And we're already at all-time highs again. So... Yeah, but yeah, I, I I would say that Joe, but I don't want to offend the other neighborhoods. But I do. I I love I, I love. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Joey says best neighborhood in the city. Thanks, Joe. I I yeah. I, I it's got a special place in my heart too. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But uh, it's the richest neighborhood, right? It is. I mean, we on average, uh, we have the highest property values, but that's not to say you're not going to find good houses elsewhere. You're from Ward 6. Uh, there's some beautiful places over there. Isn't there a house with a tennis court over there? Yeah, you guys have a, some beautiful houses over there. Uh, Ward 5, gorgeous. Look, there's, there's, good, there's good everywhere. Uh, yeah, but Malden's got these really big old Victorians that are gorgeous. And, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's got the charm. Right. Yeah, and history buffs—they, you know, they, they love that style of architecture. Yeah, yeah. And back then, you know, when when Boston was was you know growing outward, Malden was one of the first communities to experience this this boom. And there were some wealthy folks that came and set up shop here, and they built these giant grand old estates. And um, as time would have it, you know, now because we're so close to an urban center, uh, you know, those houses have been converted. You know. Big old singles are now twos. They've been converted into twos legally or condos. Uh, and the land has been subdivided so that you don't have giant house lots anymore. You might have a, a six, seven, eight thousand square foot house yeah, lot. Not, nothing wrong. Yep. Nothing wrong with the way we grew up. Yep. But uh, I'm just, it's a, it's a, it's a look into history. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yep. I'm proud of that. Yeah, yeah. We have a yeah. lot of sources of pride here. A lot, a lot of history. Yeah. Oh, amen. Yeah, a lot of it. Absolutely. Converse. I mean, everyone knows the name Converse. Well, we need to, you know, if it was up to me, we'd bring back the businesses, more businesses in the city. Well, let me tell you something. This this is one of my gripes. And we could talk about some gripes while we're here, right? So, you know, we're in a red hot market, right? And we all know this is cyclical. It doesn't last forever. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a downturn and it's going to come back up again. But uh, in that time, we've, I think, missed the boat on on commercial development. And you don't have to look far. I mean, you, you see what they did uh, down at Assembly Row, and you see what they did in Wellington Circle, right, Station Landing. Gorgeous, gorgeous retail. And how long have our residents been saying, we want retail, we want you to bring back that square, we want better retail, how come we're the only community that doesn't have a Starbucks? Not like I can choose which businesses move in, nor the mayor or you or anybody else. No, but, but you know, when you zone it properly, and and you become business friendly, um, you you open yourself up. Good things happen in the in the commercial marketplace, and that's frankly where we make our best revenues. I I I have a phrase that I think I coined called smart revenue, and this is when we bring in money into our community rather than raising money from the residents who live here. So very very often, what you'll see is your your property taxes go up. Your your water and sewer taxes go up, and your fines and fees go up. People don't realize we've raised millions in fines and fees over the years, and I'm not happy about that because I hate that stuff. Uh, but when you take it out of the pocket of your own resident, you're not making Malden a wealthier place. When you bring in a commercial business and people come and they shop in here, and then maybe you get the meals tax and, 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 and you create a job, uh, and you create a, 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 you raise personal property values on a parcel of land. It improves your tax base in a way that brings money into the community. Um, one of the ordinances that uh, I, I had a, a, a quite a hand in, in helping pass was uh, the ordinance for the small cell towers. So, what people are doing now, the cell companies, instead of doing giant towers, they do small, small little towers that go on top of a telephone pole or a building. And that's how they're sending out the 5G signal. Um, so Verizon has theirs, and, you know, everyone's got their own, right? Sprint has got theirs, and, and AT&T has got theirs. So they were asking to move in and, and for free, put them on top of city poles. And uh, I said, no, that, that's not the way to do this. And I looked around other communities, and I found other communities were raising uh, some money this way because they, they want a piece of real estate that the city has an interest in. And I said, look, we're all for you, 5G. And, and I, I, had to, I had to butt heads with the mayor on this one, too, uh, you know, because everyone wanted that 5G development. But I said, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen for free. These developers, they're going to come in and they're going to use our city property. There's going to be a benefit to this community. Rather than taking money out of Jerry Leone's pocket, I'm, we're all paying AT&T. Look at your Comcast bill. Look at all the fees that are in there, right? Look at, you know, all these little fees. Look, some of that has got to come back to the communities that host them, right? We're hosting them and their technology. They've got to pay something. So, uh, yeah, we, we figured out a system that's, that's going to raise some revenues. Um, yeah, I, I believe it's a, a biannual uh, $1,000 uh, inspection and maintenance fee that we have to make sure that they are safe and secure. Um, and we have a lot of conditions so that they're... Uh, you know, they, they look nice in the community, and, they, and they're not obtrusive. Um, but we're raising lots of money this way, and that's the right way of doing it. 
you know, not by not by raising taxes, fees, and fines. You know, you, look back to these blue bags. Seventy percent of people came out to vote and say we want an option. I, we don't mind that you have this blue bag program. It sounds fair, right? You create trash, you pay for that trash. But I run out of blue bags. So my blue bags, they're, they're ripping and they're flimsy. Give me another way. Give me another method. And, and I know lots of people have talked about this, but we never did that for them. You know, we're going back 10 years now. 70% of people were supposed to be a government for the people and by the people. And, and we weren't able to deliver that solution despite the efforts of some. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say this. When they came out and voted, it wasn't just, you know, let me take five minutes out of my day and vote. People had to put that in the ballot. They had to collect 10,000 signatures. You know how difficult that is? That's a Herculean effort. They put that in the ballot. And then they, then they overwhelmingly said, we want an alternative. And, in fact, I think that was the big Maya campaign, right, between Deb Fallon and Maya Christensen. He said, I'm going to do something about these blue bags. Well, I'm still waiting. I think there really needs to be a solution here. And all the public engagement we've done since then, if you look at the – we just completed the largest survey, the moratorium study – over 2,000 respondents, and, and you see things like 80% of people calling for a, a, a municipal involvement in the solution of Malden Hospital, completely ignored. Calling for more open space, ignored. Uh, talking about how traffic is one of their big problems, it's ignored. Talking about how we don't want more apartment buildings, we are stra we've got our fair share of apartment buildings, ignored. Um, and I think it's a shame we have to start delivering for the people of this community. They've done their part. They live here. They pay. Uh, they deserve like I said, a better quality of life. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's and, and, it's a very complicated uh, analysis, and, but yes, it makes a and, big difference as a. And I've told you, and I've told everyone. Eventually, if Malden is to put another public school, yep, bringing businesses in the community, that's how you're going to happen. It's not. It doesn't happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day, but. Building apartments isn't going to – that's going to choke out the life of police, fire department, yeah. you know, and then uh, these these elected officials need to be held accountable. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it makes a big impact. We could do a whole show on the impact of these apartment buildings, but the public knows it intuitively, and that's why they've been saying enough is enough. Give us something that improves our quality of life, uh, d doesn't cause us detriment, and and – this is a problem you have, I think, when you become too close to developers. And I've seen that uh, being on the inside of government. Uh, some of the folks at the top become too cozy with developers. Uh, we saw it with Malden Hospital, right? And that's the one reason why we haven't delivered a solution to yeah. the people. Hey, look, if I had everyone working with me, if I had the mayor working with me, if I had, you know, Hallmark being fair, uh, I would have already delivered the solution. I, it is right there at our fingertips. But when you have someone that has a relationship with a developer and says, we want a, a big apartment complex up there, of course Hallmark is going to want a big apartment complex. They're looking at $10, $12 million acquisition if they, if they you know, a sale price if they do yeah. that. But that's not fair market. That's not what it's zoned for, and that's not what the people want. All right. Well, Council Matt, yeah, that, that was quick. Well, we I, didn't even touch on Malden Hospital. Yeah, I'm going to have to yeah. get back. Time yeah. number three, Joey. Time <laughs> number three. Uh, you do too. Can we come back together? Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Oh.
National Grid. National Grid. And, th and that was a problem because that, that ball, the, the ball field development wasn't right.